Welcome to this edition of Your Care, Your Rights, Your Voice. I'm Mairead Painter, and today we're going to talk about staffing in our long-term care communities. So we know that staffing has been an issue not only since the pandemic, but prior to the pandemic. Um, it's something that here in Connecticut, we really saw as a challenge just before the pandemic even. And so what I want to do today is talk about what we're seeing here, what we're looking at nationally, and then maybe some things that we can do to help improve the situation, how many caregivers are out there, and the resources that we have. So first of all, the requirement, we get asked all the time, um, what is the requirement here in Connecticut in our nursing homes? And so in the nursing homes, our state requirement is 1.9 hours a day of hands-on care per resident. Recently, I was asked, what does hands-on care mean? Does that count um, housekeepers, laundry, maintenance? No, this is for individuals who are actually providing care and services. So that would be your um, CNAs, nurses, that's the LPNs and the RNs, and actual staff that are working on the units to support residents. Now, at a federal level, we see there's a difference, right? So the Fed don't give a number. They say that they must have enough residents in the, uh, sorry, enough staff in the building to meet residents' individualized needs. But that can be really hard to prove. So if someone has something identified in their plan of care or a goal for getting up and being showered, dressed, going to activities, and they're not able to do that because there's not enough staff on hand to help support that, that's where we would be able to capture that. But again, that's more difficult for us to prove um, when we have complaints from residents and family members about staffing. So how are we addressing this? Well, we're addressing it as a like a dual front, okay? So here in Connecticut, we did have a bill passed last year increasing the minimum hours of staff per day per resident to three hours per day. We have not seen that go into effect yet. We are waiting for um, a secondary bill to pass to give the Department of Public Health the ability to put policies and procedures in place um, for that accountability in the nursing homes. So we're hoping to see that move forward within the next few weeks as um, the 2022 session is starting to wind down. Okay, so we'll see the 2022 legislative session end in about a week and a half, just after the beginning of May. And then we'll start to see when um, the bills that were passed this year are going to be implemented. At a federal level, we've been pushing and advocates have been um, asking for the staffing level at a federal level to be mandated at 4.1 um, for over 20 years. There have been studies done that have shown that 4.1 hours a day of hands-on care is what's needed in order for residents to have true quality of life and to have their individualized needs met. And although these recommendations have been in place, we haven't seen it happen. And we wanna see it nationally because we feel that then we will have the pressure from CMS, from other state agencies that will follow. Of course, hopefully they follow what the federal guidelines are and that it needs to happen across the board. One of my concerns is that this study, these studies were done so long ago that the number might even be higher today due to the fact that we've had a shift in the types of residents that are in our long-term care communities and the needs that they have. But even reaching the 1.9 hours a day, we're seeing 
as a challenge here in Connecticut, at least. We just don't have the individuals to pull from that are working in our long-term care communities um, regularly. We are seeing a higher use of pool staff. We've talked about that before. And what that means for residents, because you don't have the consistent caregiver, they don't know the individual, and it takes longer to care for someone when you don't have that knowledge of how they want things done and what their care should look like or their goals. So what are we encouraging to have happen? How do we resolve this? So we're really pushing that nursing homes um, and long-term care communities across the board have the opportunity to offer um, CNA classes, also nursing classes, but to start with the CNA classes. When you have someone that learns how to give care from other professionals in the field, working with residents directly, we find that we have better outcomes with caregivers in that way. Also, looking for stipends or coverage of the cost of going to school to be a CNA. Um, for someone who's not sure if they want to do this and they're just taking it on, um, it can be a cost you know, prohibitive um, endeavor to do so. So really looking at that and seeing if there's ways that we can offer individual support to come into the field and upfront, not something that's paid back later because they may not make that commitment. That's what we've heard. Um, we've also been asked about career ladders. Um, individuals want to know that if they go in as a CNA, um, they can have the opportunity to take other classes and work their way up, maybe becoming an LPN. Again, hopefully staying in the same nursing home or long-term care community after becoming an LPN, maybe going on to become an RN, which just further supports the continuity of care in that home or within that company. Um, one of the other things that has come up since COVID and we hadn't seen before was the temporary nurse aid program. Um, and we're hearing now that CMS is going to phase that out along with some of the other waivers that were in place. And so they're looking for individuals who came on to long-term care communities, onto their teams during COVID to go and ensure that they are fully trained and certified and meet all of the competencies necessary in order to um, provide appropriate care, right? We want people that are providing appropriate, well-informed care to our nursing home residents, that they have those minimum standards in order to do so. So that will be phasing out in a little over 30 days from now, so in, in May. And what does that look like? How do we ensure that those individuals are offered an opportunity to continue, to continue those um, caregiver jobs? We don't want to see them leave the field now that they're in it. What else can we do? So engaging the young, right? So we've talked about, we've talked with our residents here in Connecticut, some different resident council groups, our e-board, which always is extremely helpful for me to talk to our e-board, which is our executive board of presidents of resident council. And we talked about, you know, how do they think we could do a better job of ensuring that we have caregivers that want to come in and work in these environments. And some of the ideas we came up with were ways to engage young adults. So individuals in high school, in college, how do we ensure that they know that these careers are out there and expose them to our long-term care communities, whether it be through volunteer work, coming in and sort of mentoring them into healthcare fields, offering them that opportunity to, to see what it's like to work in these communities, and 
Also taking the time to dispel the myths about long-term care. I think there's a lot of bias and people don't understand or they're nervous to go into a nursing home or a long-term care community. And because of that, I think we don't see the response of people going to participate in this work or get these kind of jobs as young adults, where we, I think we could really do a better job of connecting residents or maybe residents, resident councils to um, local schools and having that opportunity for students to meet residents and see what they're like, and then maybe wanting to go there and volunteer. And from that volunteerism, we could see people going into these fields, really encouraging these types of careers, careers in caregiving. You know, how do we break down those barriers? If people have other ideas, we would love to hear them. Uh, I think that this is something that we're gonna face over uh, the next few years until we're able to build up this workforce. I did hear earlier this month that we're starting to see a few more people come into this, these fields and this area of work, but it's a place that we need to put our focus and really drive up the workforce in order to meet the needs of the individuals as this is a growing population. And so ensuring that we have the care and services to meet their needs is incredibly important. Looking at what we have in the way of technology, and no, I'm, some of you have heard me say before, I'm not a fan of robots, but when I'm talking about technology, I'm talking about um, caregiver enhancements. So maybe beepers that could alert them if there's someone moving in a room. So it doesn't scare the individual, but it lets the staff person know that someone is up and moving so that they can get to that room and help prevent a fall, perhaps. Technology related to individuals' ability to have voice command, maybe TVs or um, devices that connect them to their family so that they can, they can call them. They don't need to ask for assistance. They can turn on the TV, turn on the lights. You know, many individuals use Alexas or other Google devices at home in order to turn on and off lights. And what can we do in our long-term care communities to look at providing opportunity for people to use technology to be as independent as possible and then have caregivers there to do the caregiving services. We've also talked about track systems, how to put track systems into each nursing home where someone could be assessed to independently use a track system and with the remote move themselves and not be at risk to fall or to have one staff person be able to transfer them out of bed or to the bathroom um, instead of requiring um, the second person if they're an assistive two and then having someone stay with them in the bathroom because they may be at risk of falls using a track system could allow that person the independence and autonomy to be able to do that themselves, not have the risk of fall, and then free up that staff person um, to take care of other individuals who need them. So these are just some of the ideas um, that I've been talking about with residents and other professionals in the field. Um, certainly, I'd love to hear from others of you that have ideas. Um, we know that family and friends being back into the nursing homes has been a huge benefit as well because those are also eyes on right those are people that help support in things some do hands-on care but some also do things that don't require a staff member if they're not comfortable with that but helping someone um, again turn on a light change a channel read a book or just have that social interaction that is so necessary 
um, and supplementing the care and services provided by the staff. In addition to that, we know that here in Connecticut, we are extremely excited that the essential support person bill passed and we now have the policies and procedures out um, to keep that moving forward, even if we have another period of time where there's challenges related to access, um, that those individuals will always have access to the residents. So that's sort of my 101 related to the staffing. One of the other questions that comes up that I'll try to explain, but really it's sort of an algorithm. I'm, I'm hoping someday we'll move away from an algorithm, but it's what it is right now. When you're looking at the staffing hours, it's not just black and white, like one staff per four people or five people. They look at the shifts. So first, second and third shift, the hours of the staff in those professions that count as hands-on care on during those shifts. And then it's divided by the number of residents, so the census, and they're weighted differently. They have to have certain components. So on our website, you will see an area where you can find how to do that equation to find out if they're meeting that staffing requirement every day. Also, there was a bill passed, I believe in 2018 here in Connecticut that requires that every nursing home post in an area where residents and family members can see it, the daily staffing hours. So it should show you accurately who's working, what shifts, and it should be updated. So if there's call outs, if there's changes, that should be updated um, on that sheet and it should be posted daily so you know exactly what that ratio is and if they're at the proper number of staff per resident a day. If you're not seeing that and you're not seeing it updated daily, please let the nursing home know. Um, you can also request a copy of it and you can let us know if that's something that's not being attended to regularly. Um, I have asked some homes because you know they'll tell us that, well, there's a change in um, shifts because of um, call outs or we see someone had to go home or someone had to go on an appointment. Again, if they're out of the building on an appointment, they shouldn't be counted on that sheet, but they should post at what time of day that form will be accurate and posted. So maybe it's updated by um, 7 p.m. every day so that you know for the last 24 hours that was who was in the home, that's how many residents were there, and that was the appropriate staffing level. That's something as a resident council and a family council, you can address with your individual nursing home and ask them where it's going to be or even make some suggestions um, and how often it's gonna be posted. If there's locked units or units where you would need a key code to get out, maybe um, there's individuals that need that for safety reasons, we would request that that information is also posted and accessible to all of the residents on those units as well. So that's my update on staffing. I'm hoping I was able to answer all the questions for everyone out there today. Um, if you have other questions, please feel free to send them in. Thank you for listening and thank you for listening wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we will be up again soon, hoping to have other interesting conversations to bring to you. Thank you for being here on Your Care, Your Rights, Your Voice. Again, I'm Marade Painter, and I will talk with you soon.